podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. In today's episode, we're going to resume our conversation with Dr. Reagan Shriver and our conversation about trauma therapy. In our last episode, we discussed how trauma causes adaptations in our behavior, the importance of recognizing oneself in the therapeutic relationship, and the significance of doing your own inner work to avoid the vicarious trauma that can mislead our clients. Also, we talked about how the therapist-client relationship creates a corrective emotional experience opportunity and how essential trust is in that relationship. We're going to resume our talk today with Dr. Shriver by discussing how we can practice mindfulness and awareness with people that we're seeing. Hey, you know, we've talked about this internal experience using ourselves as therapists. How do you navigate when you're working with patients a, a mindfulness and an in-the-moment awareness of what may be coming up for you as you listen to some of these stories? It might be hard. How do you pay attention to that while you're working with the person in front of you? How do you have, how do you have that dual attention? I wish that um, I had a really great answer because if I did, I think I could write a book and be a millionaire <laughs> or something. But but I, I know my own experience is that whole concept of, of holding space or creating space. I feel like that I'm holding space for the person, but then we're sort of in this thing together where I, I always tell my students in, in discussions that I want to lock arms with the client and kind of walk forward together, you know, with the, with the person. And so I just have to recognize that I'm, I'm in this with the person. I'm in this with them. And I know like there are times when I hear something and that feels painful or it rings a bell that's painful. And you know, we right. use those fancy words like secondary trauma or vicarious trauma. But I just feel that if I've got a bigger situation in my life that I know that in this moment, in this moment with this person, that I can endure whatever I'm feeling. I know I've told myself, I know I can endure this, this yeah. pain or this struggle that I'm having and be available to this person because when the person's gone, I can go do my own thing. I can sit quietly by myself or I could yeah. call a friend or call a colleague and say, wow, I've just had a tough time. I feel like it's calling myself out of this situation, but, but kind of parking it in the parking lot for a minute while I'm able to say, I want to be present to you. I can endure this. I know I can make it through this pain. I really like that. So there is that mindfulness there where you're noticing something coming up and you're naming it for what it is. And you're finding a way to kind of hold it and kind of suspend it or kind of compartmentalize it enough to be present with a person who needs you to show up in that way, knowing later on that you get to come back and maybe process with, with a colleague or just kind of in your own thoughts. I know you're a runner, so I would imagine some of that's part of your, your own process that goes on. How do you find yourself being able to soothe yourself in those moments when something's coming up that can be triggering? What do you do just to kind of regulate yourself inside? That's a great question. Actually, I think I have an answer. One, one time I was giving a presentation to a group and it was when I was, uh, it was years ago and I, I could, get, could talk a little fast as maybe you've picked up and, uh, and uh, get a little hand gesture and that kind of thing. And it, it exhibited that I was nervous. So I think that the audience was experiencing my nervousness because of my hand movements or my, my fast pace. So somebody suggested me, hey, why don't you like crunch your foot up in your shoe? Just, just put your energy down there. 
that moment helped me so much because I can find myself, it's almost like an automatic thing now that I, I can I kind of crunch my foot up in, in, in my shoe and some of my energy goes there so that I can be available to the person. Almost like, you know, a duck that looks so serene on top of the yeah. water, but their legs are going like that. It's uh, That has helped me a lot. That's just one thing that I've been, been able to I really do. like that. So that allows you to kind of self-soothe, kind of hold that moment and be present all in one. Yeah, really good. Really good. You know, as I mentioned, listeners, too, at the, at the very beginning, Reagan is both, you know, got his doctorate in psychology, but he also is involved with the church. And Reagan, I want to kind of run something by you right here. You know, I believe we are comprised of three parts, our mind and our body and our spirit. And I believe that there are laws that govern the healthy functioning of each one of these. And while all three naturally impact each other, each one needs its own approach or treatment, if you will. The mental health side, the mind side, you know, needs, you know, a mental health practitioner, the, the, the body side, a physician, a, the spiritual side, ideally, you know, kind of a pastor or a priest. And the cool part about you, you've got, you've got the spiritual and the mind side, you know, together in one being both a mental health doc and, and a spiritual, you know, side within your role and within the Catholic church. How do you understand the impact of trauma on one's spiritual life? I just feel that a spiritual trauma or an assault coming from a religious spiritual part of the human's life is such an invasion and such a damaging thing. If you think about it, that I've been brought up from my early years that there's an all-powerful God and that, that sure. all-powerful God is loving, but then I experienced this opposite of that or the very thing that's supposed to represent that love and 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 care and all powerfulness is serving as a violation mm. uh, it's just so painful to hear and to see that's just my feeling about yeah. it I, I think that's i think that's good i think you know when we recognize and when you put it like that we recognize our earthly relationships set a model for how we might think about our higher power, whether it's God or whatever it may be, that sets up how we're going to see that higher power, our God, as kind of an authority figure, if you will, or someone we can go to. So if, you know, people will say, well, if, if, my, if my father, you know, kind of breached these boundaries right here, or he's not safe, or he's judging of me, of course, my God is going to be that way as well. So that sets up kind of a relational pattern, doesn't it? Yeah. An unconscious expectation that either we're not going to be good enough or, and it can really interfere with how one spiritually kind of navigates their life. What you're talking about, I think, is a spiritual component that can be embodied in religion or be embodied in some other yoga or something else. But I, did, I like I love what you were saying a second ago to recognize that the spiritual part really is a part of who we are, like any other part of, of who we are. And how do I find that or meet that need? And it's not easy. It's not easy no. to figure that out because I think like we were talking in class yesterday about doing assessments. And so, you know, I've brought up the idea of spiritual assessment and said, what would be a good question might you ask in a spiritual to help the person kind of explore a little bit of their spiritual life? And one of the students said, well, you could ask them, are they attending their church? And I feel like that was such a, we talked about it in class, and I think the student wouldn't mind me saying this. There was this expectation, of course you're going to church, and are you following through on this formula of going to church? I just feel like this may sound funny from coming from you know, someone with me with a priest background and all that, that maybe there isn't just a formula, that it's that how do we discover, how do I live and recognize the relationship that I have in my life that's spiritual? It makes total sense. I think, and I think what happens sometimes is, 
if our, you know, psychological relational side of who we are, that, that, that mind side has traumas in it, we don't believe we're going to have access to a higher power, or maybe we're angry at a higher power for allowing those things to happen. Mm -hmm. And that makes it, you know, how can there be a loving God or a loving higher power in this also too, in traumas? And I want to talk about this right now, shame, shame sets up so much of how we see ourselves and how we could even imagine going to a higher power if we have this embarrassment and this part of ourselves that is just so dark, it makes it harder to come to a higher power. Even if we want to say, hey, no, the higher power is not who your earthly father was. This is a different kind of father or a different kind of relationship you can have. It is so influenced negatively, isn't it? Yes. By that earthly relationship and that trauma. Let's shift just a wee bit around this idea of shame. So shame and guilt, we sometimes kind of blend those two together. Guilt is like what I do. Mm -hmm. Whereas shame is who I am, very personal, like a personal self-meaning. How do you help folks work through trauma, kind of a trauma identity, which is more times than not a, a shame-based identity? How do you help them move through that to get out of the shame and to recognize what really happened to them is not about their fault or who they are? The way how I look at it is that like Eric Erickson has these stages of development that I'm sure you yeah. know that like the the foundational prior to guilt is is autonomy versus shame. It's just so okay. closer to the core of Very who good. we are. And then later the initiative versus guilt comes along because it's more like a, a leather layer that's built about what we do. So there's this who I am and then what I do. That's how that kind of develops, I think, as a human. So I think part of the autonomy versus shame and that trust versus mistrust, those early elements of our human life are about attachment and connection to the parents or the caregivers that we have in our life. If you think about it, when we're a little bitty baby, uh, you know, we're kind of crying because we're hungry. And then the parent, the primary caregiver could look at us and say, oh, I get it. You're sad. I, I, I'm goo goo. You know, you're, you're sad. You know, I, I, I see how that is. So the baby's thinking, wow, somebody gets me and my feelings are validated. I'm okay. They're affirming that I'm crying because of a legitimate reason. But if maybe adults in the infant's life early on don't validate that and don't meet the need and don't whatever, then I think then that just just helps the shame sort of foster or that like, wow, I'm crying, but nobody cares. Maybe my feelings aren't aren't really nobody gets me. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Most of us spend more time at work than anywhere else doing anything else. So why not spend that time in a job you love? Introducing Triad's Jobs Marketplace, the only job site dedicated specifically to behavioral and mental health professionals. Featuring more than 1,000 open jobs from dozens of behavioral and mental health employers and searchable by location, professional field, employment type, specialization, and more. Jobs Marketplace helps you find your next career opportunity. Full-time, part-time, or gig-time, make the most of your time. To access Jobs Marketplace, register for your free professional account at hellotriad.com slash BHT. That's hellotriad.com slash BHT. And then click to Jobs Marketplace. If you're already a member of the Triad community, visit app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. That's app.hellotriad.com slash jobs. Visit us today and take your next career step tomorrow. I really like that because what you're talking about here is we think trauma always has to be the 9-11s, the big T traumas, you know, the 
the assault, the car accident, and they don't. They can be relational injuries where a child in a moment of need, kind of in that trust versus mistrust place, it can, can begin to realize that people don't respond to me in my life. You know, they respond harshly, maybe just with a, you know, kind of a cross look, you know, or just a kind of a gesture you know, or a kind of thing where they just, and what a child begins to do with that, they begin to develop a meaning about themselves. They can be shameless. I must not be of worth for my parent to respond to me. I must not be important, or maybe I'm not enough, or maybe there's something about me that's flawed. And little do we know, but that whole mindset begins to develop, doesn't it? So it doesn't have to, and I love what you're saying. It doesn't have to be the big traumas. It can be what we refer to as little T traumas. Again, as we talked about in prior shows, no, no less injurious and no less significant, but they're a little more subtle sometimes because they occur in relationships, but they're just as impactful, aren't they? I truly believe so. I think that, you know, earlier when I said the thing about that flood deal, there's also like just the drip, 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 drip of just water, you know, that does equally damage. You know, I have some friends at their home, there was something up upstairs, the water burst and just destroyed the house, but it wasn't like a, it was just drip, drip, drip. It was, it was terrible. And also I want to kind of say a thing here that like, I feel like that when someone, if they're because of their gender or their race or their sexual orientation or their gender identity, that like if you've gotten this message from early on that somehow you're not good enough, your body begins to adapt to that and it's fight or flight experience there. But I feel like that's a developmental process. And and I feel like as a society, we've got to reckon with that on, on those issues. That is really good. That is, that is a personal end kind of branches out into the societal level, doesn't it? Hey, you know, I know we're kind of coming to the end of our time today. And as we kind of come in here, let's talk a little bit about termination. You know, we, we are in a therapeutic relationship with somebody. And what we're looking to do is to work to a place where we can work to kind of a therapeutic ending, kind of a therapeutic goodbye. How do you do that? And how do you even think about that or even introduce that as you know, you're beginning to coming to a close? How do you talk about termination? I think there's all these conflicting feelings that can rise up. I know in me, like, especially I've, I've invested in this person, I've invested in this relationship, but it's time, time to go. <laughs> and, and I think some of it, as long as I've already mentioned Eric Erickson, I maybe might refer back to, you know, that like, I feel sometimes maybe parents in a parenting relationship, if a child goes off and tries to do their own thing, but then maybe the parent might be too worried or too nervous, then they want to keep the child. Oh, no, no, you can't do that on your own. So then that creates some sort of shame element in the, in a child or could. Yes. And I think that the same thing could happen in a therapeutic relationship that my message is that you don't, you don't need me. I've been a great tool or a great part of your life, but you, you can do this. You know, you, yes. this is your time. <laughs> you, you know, you can make this happen. You've learned and grown in a lot of ways here. And I don't want to create shame and dependency or whatever on me. I want to create you as a, as a person that can go and, and implement the cool stuff that we've, we've explored. So really, when you put it like that, almost like the good parent who is selfless, you have the relationship that has early on dependency qualities to it. Of course it would, because they're building trust. They're trying to explore themselves. You're there in that kind of therapeutic way. But then as they kind of mature psychologically and within themselves, it's a place where they get to kind of like a parent kind of launch their child. You're giving them wings and they develop their wings and grown them with the potential that's inherently there, you just kind of help foster some of that. So this whole idea then as it begin to wind down, you get a chance to kind of honor and respect the work that was done in the relationship with you, but at the same time saying, Hey, you're, you're, you're ready to launch. 
maybe another analogy might be you know, like if you I don't know if you've ever been a swimmer but learned how to swim you know like that side the side of the swimming pool becomes your friend and then but then it, you know then you kind of swim out a little bit but then you have to come back you maybe swim out a little bit but you want to come back but eventually you learn how to how to swim on your own and you can can swim the whole lap or whatever on your, on, yeah. on your own and what a, what a great thing that is what a, what a great great talent you have to be able to do it's that. fun it's fun to celebrate that isn't it to look back and say hey look where we started and look what you've done and look what, you know, your level of competency and mastery in these things and how much confidence you can have coming into the world now. Good for you, you know, and I'm always here, you know, you can come back and sometimes I look at it, you know, when they, when they, when you first come in, you do some really good work, you lay a foundation, you really, you build kind of the proverbial great single family dwelling. And then later in your life, you might want to come back and add a room, you know, or kind of grow in different areas and maybe your life changes. And so you add these things on, they can always come back anytime. So, hey, Reagan, as we do come to a close today, give us some resources that you might like our readers to take a look at regarding trauma, uh, your trauma-informed care program, your schooling, things about you. Give us some resources. Well, I think the first thing I have to say is our team at the College of Social Work have developed this postgraduate trauma treatment certificate that yeah. you can find at the University of Tennessee's College of Social Work website. And that you, there's three big modules you learn about neuroscience theory and practice. It's a great thing. And then, then something I'm really not connected to at all, but have certainly benefited from is that brand new book about what happened to me, which is Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey uh, have got a book. And it, it's it, it just in very very accessible ways talks about trauma and many of the things that you and I have been just talking about today. And then of course the Vander Kolk book, uh, The Body Keeps the Score, I think is another great, great book. In fact, just the other day I, I asked someone, hey, you should check this out. And this really has been an insight filled. Really good. Read that. Hey, Reagan, I really appreciate those uh, resources. And what I want to let our listeners know is that we have the ability now for you to go and check out all of our resources that we've accumulated over our 100 plus shows. You can access all of our resources at triadhq.com slash behavioral-health-today. Reagan, my friend, it's so nice to have you on the show today. Thanks for all your input and uh, what you bring in terms of your spirit and your energy and your insight and awareness and these things. Thank you so much for imparting that to us today. Oh, thank you, Graham. You're, you're just great. I, I feel so at home and comfortable talking with you and then getting to listen to you when, when I hear the, the podcast. Thank you so much. Well, it's great to do it with you. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us today. We always appreciate it when you drop by and so appreciate your listenership with us. We'll look forward to seeing you next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.